And so it begins. Just Breathe Live is a YouTube live stream where youth ministry has a say. Explore faith, spirituality, and life purpose as never before. And above all, bring your authentic self and just breathe. We started a thing. I was muted. I was saying hello. Good evening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Just Breathe Live. Hello, and welcome to Just Breathe Live the podcast for youth and young adults in Unitarian Universalism. I am Shannon Harper. And I am Eric Bliss. We are here. here. We made it. We did. Just barely, though, by the skin of our teeth. We're starting to get the hang of this. Maybe we're not quite as awkward as we have been in the past. Who knows? Who knows what might happen? Speak for yourself. With that being said, we also want to point out that this podcast is uh, for Unitarian Universalists youth and young adults, and anyone who loves youth and young adults or just wants to be part of our conversations, you're welcome. And if you're not Unitarian Universalist, you're also welcome to join us. We are here and we're talking about liberal faith, and we invite you to learn more about it by going to UUA.org if you are so interested. Here are some of this year's greatest hits. The whoosh. All right, it's time for our whoosh. We're all going to just, we're just going to whoosh this thing, okay? And so it is time for our whoosh. So to do a whoosh, it has to be whole body. It has to be like deep guttural in your, in your coming from your stomach. All right. So Um, I'm ready for the whoosh. It like, like I said, it starts here and you just. And then a loud whoosh. Whoosh. Fantastic. It feels good too, right? I love the whoosh. (laughs) Okay, I'm changing the breathing and the guess. Favorite thing, whoosh. And we're done. (laughs) Total silliness. Hello. I never want to be the first to turn on my video. I'm always like, uh, who's going to who's gonna do it? I'm Shannon Harper. And I'm Eric Bliss. Last time I checked. <laughs> it's what happens when um, two 40-some-year-old, like, ex-punk rock, you know, hippie people decide trying to so hard, people have a live cool. stream together. <laughs> Are we succeeding? You, tell us in the chat. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. That's what we need. We need um, we need positive recognition. And That's right. Affirm Send us. Affirm us, please. <laughs> mm. I love mm. a good metaphor. I love a good metaphor. <laughs> Metaphors are awesome. Similes, hyperboles. I get them confused, frankly. <laughs> we love a, a well-placed literary device. <laughs> yes. It's definitely my turn to talk, and I definitely don't know what I'm supposed to say. I'm just going to put that out there right now. <laughs> okay, so now we have to say, for everybody for everybody listening, here's what happens. Eric and I text each other on the side, 
And he said, and I said, is it time to wrap up? And he said, we should do one more question. I thought that meant that he had a question. So mm-hmm. I was like, take it, Eric. You got the question. Is it a podcast or is it a live stream? You know, is it like a video cast? Like there's so many different words, so many different choices. Yeah. I, you know, I feel alive. So just breathe alive stream doing as you're watching this uh, lovely live stream, pod stream, pod, live cast. <laughs> Who's with us today, Shannon? I think we use the word badass in our uh, deal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Host Shannon Harper and Eric Bliss interview youth and adult badasses. Badasses. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I'm like, we did that. We did I that. know. I get a little I jolt know. of adrenaline when he says that. I get a little jolt of embarrassment. Like, why did we? <laughs> you know, well, we could bleep it out. Youth <laughs> that, ministry. You know, when you're, um, when you're young and you have your best friends and you're like, oh, we're going to like, we're going to grow up together and then we're going to have kids together and we're going to do all these, we're going to go on vacations together and have done it all together, including me marrying her. That is absolutely brilliant. My, my best friend as a kid, we promised that we were going to buy a Lamborghini together. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, realistic one. expectations, unrealistic expectations. Using a lot of their music. Uh, lately it's just the kind of folky yeah they've got us on speed dial i'm sure you mentioned christmas cards i can't i'm checking my mail every day totally my um i know that my congregation in dayton ohio will shout out to miami valley unitarian universalist fellowship in dayton ohio yeah (laughs) yay dayton (laughs) dayton flyers (laughs) do you feel old every day Uh, every day Youth that were in our programs are now religious educators. It's fun. I got the warm feelsies <laughs> with special guests. You'll find out. Here's Eric and I being like, <laughs> I know the story. I so. don't like the spotlight <laughs> on me. I don't like it. No. Sponsor us, Joe. Trader Joe's, if you want to sponsor us, by all means, we'll we'll donate all your proceeds to... That's what we need next. In the continuation of our Trader Joe's theme, I did just eat some peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's, and they were delicious. I'm getting that little sugary uh, Mm -hmm. kick from those peanut butter cups. Mm-hmm. And I am ready to go. For those of you Joe's. who don't know, we are really pushing for a Trader Joe's sponsorship. So whenever Trader Joe's reaches out to us, we will be happy to respond. Call um, me. Yeah, we're we're ready. We love Trader Joe's. Uh, today, I put together this lovely lunch of olives and hummus and carrots and naan and these delicious Trader Joe's. Can I say Trader Joe's? Uh Sweet potato crackers with bread and butter pickles. Mmm, they're so sweet and delicious. Yeah, my taste buds are doing a little a little dance as I think about those delightful bread and butter pickles I had for lunch. Podcast slash videocast is not plugging uh, Trader Joe's, but um, we are open to doing that if if Trader Joe's wants to reach out to us. We'll we'll take a sponsorship. On. We'll take a sponsorship. Yeah. Nuggets of Wisdom.
Youth Spirituality Pilot with Lee Blythe and Reverend Christopher Watkins Lamb. I'm going to ask myself how I'm doing. Sorry, I had to like think. And I did. And I looked at myself in this mirror and I recorded a question and I played it back to myself, like not looking at the mirror. And then I looked at the mirror and I talked to myself about how I was doing. And the thing about talking to yourself is you don't have to hold anything back. Something I think is just um, the simplicity like of finding um, spirituality or grounding practices. And then I know that, especially in my agents, procrastination is a very big <laughs> problem. And even I can attest to that. So, never, never. <laughs> so like just finding simple ways um, to practice spirituality that either don't take too much time or don't take too much setup. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of too small to fail. It's like pick pick something that's too too small to fail. It what what feels like such a breeze. I can take 3 deep breaths in the morning when I get up. That, you know, whatever it is. The thing that comes to mind for me, I think spirituality is about meaning, purpose and connection. The other side of the bridge with Malika Gottfried and Chloe Emily. Change is so incredibly scary to face, no matter how much you think you prepare for it, no matter who you've talked to, how much advice you've been given, whether your parents or guardians approve of it or not, just doing something new. It's such an exhilarating experience, no matter how terrifying it is, just go for it. Like what I want to see. Um, and I, I think it's hard because like, I don't know what I need right now. And, and there's so much that is changing in our world. And um, like every day, I just like taking down systems and um, relearning how to be in the world and remember what brought you to Unitarian Universalism, why you were so passionate and excited about joining all these things or doing whatever you're doing. I don't know. Molly, I'll ask you this. Where do you see yourself in three to five years? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it changes. Like I was saying, it changes every day. I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Realizing that I could talk to people and that people would listen. I, I just, I have to lift up something Sam Wilson said in the chat. Um, how do I get to be as wise and grounded as both of you when I grow up? Rising Appalachia. I'm Leah Song, and uh, Chloe and I are often in the same room, but we're actually just a stone's throw away from each other across a mountain in southern Appalachia. Hey, everybody. I'm Chloe. Um, she, her. And just swooped in off the road. We had a show yesterday and um down in florida and now back in the mountains and happy to dive in with some with some conversations with y'all thanks for having us so we started in like the most grassroots way you could imagine we're sisters same same mama same papa like the og sisters and uh and we just grew up with a lot of this music on our front porch and we were hoping to also use instruments and song catching as a way to travel and, and gather with people and, and really have a finger on the pulse of, of a kind of world culture in a lot of ways. We wanted to be in regions 
and connect with our communities and connect with the local food and connect with whatever the trials and tribulations of different communities were, what to call what it was that we were trying to accomplish. And that's where the slow music movement got its name. It takes a certain amount of ego to, you know, make art and put yourself in there. But actually there's a lot of other voices from generations past and generations forward that are like in this alchemical mix incredible amounts of people behind the scenes the fans the muses you know we like call in muses when we make albums like there's just a lot of really cool mixing that happens in order for a song to come out into the public the first thing that comes to mind is obviously listening you know but also um we talk a lot about this notion of of a concept called empowerment failure which is this idea that actually like everyone is is vying for power or vying for for the lead and there was something really graceful about about just passing the lead around there was there was no need to challenge leadership you got to actually sit back and be like you're 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 the lead and i and i'm going to totally go where you want to go you need um to just feel sturdy enough to go somewhere new or fresh or get wild or get creative or I don't know, just, you know, get, get somewhere new. And that's where we're all at in the world, you know, whether we like it or not. I feel like self-care is like the the sort of like hip word, but it's so real, you know, like just taking care of your body for us. It's our vocal cords, you know, your spirit tending like daily practices, tending to yourself, tending to your fire, tending first there and then to one another. You know, I I can see a lot of people in our sphere because we're around a lot of arts activists and, or at least we were when we were touring a lot more. And it's like, I think people want to tend outwardly sometimes more than inwardly. And then you can see that fraying. We just want to be authentic and, you know, that's what's really amazing about folk music. It's by the people and for the people. I mean, ministry is a very beautiful word. It is the concept of, of um, you know, I think holding an audience and hoping that you can bring uplift, which I very much do think is, is what we do. But I like what you're saying a lot, Chloe, which is that I think we're our, I think our biggest job, which is sometimes really complicated, is to listen. And, and sort of sift through all the noise and see if we can craft a response, some sort of sonic um, soothing or uplift or, or, or even agitator, you know, that, that is a response. Our work is to pay close attention and then, and then to, to create from there. And I would love to just know what is your message for the young people that don't we- rock. You have a <laughs> lot on your shoulders and you get rowdy and you're ingenious and your creativity and, and probably uh, edge pushing is going to bring us all salvation that we don't even know how to, how to look for yet, you know? You know and-, and so find that balance of like finding your joy, finding your passions, you know, there's just a lot of weight on the youth caring, especially the the climate change work. And um, it's both inspiring and sad sometimes to me to see like the heaviness of it falling on teenagers. And so, so I think now for youth, it's like, 
how can they discipline themselves and how can families help discipline of like just getting out into the world and shaking it off and and like talk to strangers yeah like just get weird (laughs) so resonance and activism with martha durkee newman resonance like what what does that even mean like when you have two tuning forks in the same room and i will tell you my owl 13 year old youth could probably explain this to me because they're really they know a lot about science right now so when you have two tuning forks in the same room when you hit one pair of tuning forks they resonate and the others start to resonate also on the same frequencies something in these tuning forks resonates on the same frequency as these ones. So then they're resonating together and they're doing these little, they're doing these mimicking movements together in the air, despite the fact that these ones have never been hit. I love that. That makes me feel good. Like that, that, that knowing that that is a thing that happens in my universe feels good in my body. Applying acoustic resonance to storytelling. So when somebody tells a story, you can use acoustic resonance as a different way of engaging deep listening. And so the way that I think about this is when somebody is telling me a story, especially something personal and I, I something that comes from the heart, I listen with resonance, not for the things I don't understand, the questions I have, the stories that I wanna tell that person about my own life experience that connects, not even the moments of connection. Instead, I pay attention in my own body to when I resonate on the same frequency. So when something that person says in their story causes my tuning fork self to resonate on the same wavelength. And it's on those moments of some kind of deeper, different level of connection that then we build from. I don't know y'all's theologies, but that is spirit. That is God. That is the divine. I don't know what it is. That's up to you. I think one of the places where we lack skills collectively as a people is how we listen. And this is one of them. This is one of the tools of listening deeper and better. And I'm a believer that the tools in our toolkit are revolutionary and transformative. And this is one of those revolutionary and transformative tools that we have, we have access to. And that is, that is Janet, I love what you said. It's just, it's easy. Our bodies know how to do this. <laughs> we know how to do this, right? Our, our tree, nature, connected selves know how to do this. When somebody says, okay, this is exactly what I want you to do is listen to your body and see when you're tuning fork self and you can. And that is a really cool thing also to be because this this happened to me exactly the I'm resonating with what you were saying of like the first time I had to do this and I was like oh I'm not gonna know like I'm gonna like what's gonna happen and then I just knew just I just knew my tuning fork self did a buzz and I was like that's it and it's cool to be caught off guard about knowledge that your body already has both this listening for resonance and how to tell stories really from the heart are two of the tools that are gonna transform this mess that we're in. So one of the things I have learned how to do is to know what are the resources that I have access to that are cup filling for me. And something that I've been working on with a lot of intention is the intentional spiritual practice of the cultivation of delight. Sometimes go through my life scanning for moments where I feel delight and then I hold on to them and I try to revisit them and do them more often. Going into Trader Joe's 
and buying a bunch of products that have fun shapes on the labels is something that brings me delight. (laughs) And so sometimes I will do that as as a spiritual practice, just me and the Trader Joe's with all the fun labels when they have moons and stars and animals. That's my favorite. So I get all the, and then I have some really weird products. And then I try to cook myself something with the weirdest, most fun labeled products at Trader Joe's. And that brings me just delight. So that's one of my cup filling strategies is the cultivation of intentional delight. <laughs> so, so content warning for the practice of delight being a soul crushing one at times. <laughs> People will, I mean, this feels so accessible and it feels like something that groups, especially if, if, if um, youth and young adults are watching this in groups, um, this is something that a, a like a group that regularly meets could eat so easily do. So, right? Again, this practice came to me very much from the grassroots through Movimiento Cosecha. Mental Health First Aid with Roddy Biggs and Lane Diamant. Mental Health First Aid is, is about um, encouraging people to know the signs and symptoms of mental health challenges so that if and when someone in your life goes through a cha- like a mental health challenge, you are ready to be that kind of like first aid, that first point of contact um, to help them right away, like working with that person in an open conversation um, and then helping them on next steps, like seeing a mental health professional or self-care in that. So it's about like being that first point of contact. That's what are what are some of those signs that you're taught to look for? Um, like a departure from normal, like a person's kind of normal behavior, um, like withdrawing from social interactions, um, maybe like, yeah, like just changing or um, giving away certain things uh, or, or seeming more down um, kind mm-hmm. of sometimes it's, it's not like as clear. It's just maybe they, they, yeah, they seem different. Mental health first aid is really the initial point of contact. It is a way into having these types of conversations that society tells us we can't have or that we shouldn't have. And the point of mental health first aid is not to be the one doing that treating, but to be the one to be able to fine tune the conversations, to listen, to hear what's going on, and to be able to point people in the direction to find healing. So not just referring people into the system, into a medical system of mental health. Because I think that was the thing that attracted me to the training the most was that it offered like practical skills for having those conversations. You it's know. better to say the wrong thing and to learn from it so that no one, someone knows that you care than not saying anything at all because you're so worried about getting it right. And that's something that you use especially need to hear. So I'm going to say it again. It is okay to say the wrong thing. When we talk about mental health or self-care, there's not like a one size fits all and that like we shouldn't make the conversation like, so what is self-care and then define it in these like particular ways um, because that like, excludes some people inevitably and so it's more about like when we have when we allow for open conversations then that that lets people kind of make it make it personal or make it specific to like their needs when you're in a mental health challenge like I think that it might be difficult to like even think about self-care like doing anything um and and much less you know like community care so I feel like um what what the idea of that is, is it takes the burden off of the individual to like care for themselves and maybe just like rephrasing what, what self-care looks like is just reaching out to someone else and, and allowing that person to like help you and to, to take steps for you. Um, like, you know, 
so that you don't have to do everything. Community care is self-care. So if you're if you're working to take care of your community and care for each other, that means you're also taking care of yourself. It's not, let me fix you. It's not, oh, I have the answer for you. Here it is. It's, you have the answer inside of you. Let me help you get there. And we'll journey this path together. UUism is very well placed or well positioned to have like this conversations about community care um, because we're covenantal and, and like a lot of our, our, our yeah, our values are, are connectedness to each other and, and because we covenant to support each other um, in, in our search for truth and meaning and for love. There was a practice of normalizing, asking somebody, are you thinking of killing yourself? Are you thinking of ending your own life? So practice that. Normalize asking that question because one day you might need to ask that question and it could save someone's life because you did. You use for climate justice with Noella Prescott and Zoe Johnston. Let's go old school. Like let's do, let's go back to the basics and do a weather report check-in because that's like one of my favorite check-ins climate justice weather report (laughs) for me I like really get hope from little like local actions that that I see like around me and this is a very small thing but like recently we had a clothing drive at my school and like I saw so many people get really like passionate about it and like I think what really gave me hope was just like everyone was so excited everyone like we got so much more clothes than we ever thought we would have gotten and like just like to see that so many people were excited about that really um, made me hopeful. I think for me, the developments that give me hope is um, I'm seeing like a tendency of people to recognize climate justice as not just an intellectual um, and kind of scientific um problem, you know, one that we can think about and that there are numbers and statistics, um, but it's also like deeply personal and emotional and physical. Yeah, hopeful that the way that we are holding each other through this um, empowers us even more. Well, I definitely think, like you're saying, there's a lot of um, youth leadership and a lot of people like want youth leadership, which I really like. I really um, appreciate that. I think a lot of adults are more like willing to listen to youth now. And something I really want to see in the future is like some kind of Skillshare or like I want to learn from like people who have been doing this for a really, really, really long time. And I want them to like be able to listen to youth and kind of just like I feel like there's not that much dialogue that goes on like intergenerationally. Um, like in a lot of um organizing spaces, like either all youth or all older people. And I kind of want to like see more listening to the lived experiences of each other. I just want to hear all these different voices um coming together. Well, I think. One big thing, I think definitely in the U.S. it's talked about too, but in Canada, like, it's really, really highlighted, like, the influence of Indigenous voices that we, that um, should be lifted up because they've been, like, protecting the land and listening to the land and they really understand it more than people who have colonized it um, in the more recent years. So the call for divestment happened in June of 2021. And divestment, for those that may not know, generally means like calling on companies, institutions to pull their money from. And it came to light that we had the UUA by means of the Common Endowment Fund. Um, There's a lot of kind of different pieces. 
but that the UUA had money invested in um, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, um, ConocoPhillips, Citibank, all these kind of financial institutions, and then ConocoPhillips as a um, oil company. These financial institutions have been major funders in um, in fossil fuel projects. You know, deeply connected to it is that. Um, we're trying to live in this world according to our values and our values aren't, um, aren't just some abstract thing that we, that we tell people when we explain what it is to be a UU. Um, our, our values show up in our actions and one form of actions is our investments. Um, and so what does that mean as a, as a faith, as a faith organization to have, to have investments that don't reflect our values. It's really important to really watch for your own mental health when you're um, seeing stuff about climate change, because it can be really damaging and there can be a lot of bad news these days. Um, some resources I like is CBC and I just found this new one called dailyclimate.org and I really like it because it has this section you can go to, which has just like a bunch of good news. And that's where I've heard about the coral reef thing. And it just has like a section so you can just see the good news. And if you ever need like a little break and see um, some good projects that are being done or some good um, moves that have been made, then yeah, that's a really good resource. Something that's really necessary is not um, not just reading about things, not just hearing the information, but finding ways to get involved. I think that um, being involved in community, being involved in action, uh, balance that information with action and to say, even though this is happening, I know that I know that we are doing something about right. it. Uh, on a personal level, being being really intentional about like our relationship with nature. The work of recognizing the the world that you are inhabiting um, is a really great first place to start. Mycelium Youth Network with Eric James, Linnea Granberg, and Casey Stainsby. Um, so Mycelium basically is this thing that got envisioned last almost two years ago now. And it's it's like a youth network that aims to like connect youth across the country, connect youth more regularly. So it's kind of a youth representative body. And we really wanted to promote um, youth engagement in like nationally, um, facilitate youth dialogue, and just to foster like a greater um, presence, youth presence in um, Unitarian Canadian or Canadian Unitarian Universalism. Eric and I are the uh, youth observers to the board. So basically what our job is, is we relay information from the board to the youth and vice versa. And we do a lot of other stuff now um, because of mycelium. But we We've been pretty inspired. I mean, I've speak for myself. I've been really inspired recently by um, nature metaphors in organizing and um, reading Adrian Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy for one, which I was lucky to be in a group facilitated by Shannon last year for religious educators reading this book and thinking about all the ways that we can model our organizing off of nature. And this metaphor that we landed on was of mycelium networks, which are like the underground, um, not quite root systems because it's not roots, but it maybe looks a little bit like that. It's like these mesh networks. Mm -hmm. um, and then the mushrooms that you see that pop up above ground are kind of like the, the fruit of the plant, but the plant itself is like all the mycelium networks. They're underground. They're like everywhere. They're like really talking to each other and helping other plants connect. And then the mushrooms emerge 
when the conditions are right, like when it makes sense. Don't know the fairy ring. A fairy ring is a ring of mushrooms, so we felt that that was appropriate. Um, it's also really cute. There's still it's a youth gathering. There's a lot of open ended moments and things change on the ground, but that's the the fairy ring is kind of like you want to think of it as like an executive of part of a group. It's kind of like that. It's the group of people that meet more regularly to plan what will happen when we meet in the gathering and to help keep everything cohesive and working together. One of our like criteria, I think when naming it was like, okay, it should be something meaningful, but we also need to be able to fit two U's in there somewhere. It's gross. It's just a brilliant metaphor. And, and when I first heard about it, I was like, not only is it brilliant, but it, all has, it also has the possibility for two U's. <laughs> Any anytime we can put in it's the two years. Doubly brilliant. Which is which there's a subtle irony there because it's the Canadian Unitarian Council, right? Not the can, oh. Canadian Unitarian yeah. Universalist Council. Although, side question, is there any talk about becoming the C U U C? Well, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, you're that's gonna need a different bad. episode for that. <laughs> <laughs> The short okay. answer is yes, that has been brought up, but it goes a lot further than that, I'm sure. In November, uh, the CUC and like all the member congregations of the CUC passed the principle in Canada. And so our, um, yes, like that's great. A place Approaching it from a place of like a more spiritual place rather than a discussion place. But there's always usually some kind of fun activity, maybe a little more spiritual kind of a worship for people interested in that kind of thing. The goal of this is people who may not be able to travel to a conference or who um, don't like going to things in person or for whatever reason, this is a, a different avenue that you can connect to that community as well. Like it sounds really cool and awesome and accessible. I think it is all those things. And we're also struggling with actually getting a lot of youth participation. We've had handfuls, I think, so far at each of our gatherings. Um, you didn't create this as like, this is a something we're just going to do right now while we can't meet in person. This is something that you want to be ongoing and that you actually see like gathering traction as people do meet in person. I That's, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. If you're not going to a youth con and then you're either hanging out with your local youth group, but there's not a lot outside of the once a year conference, or if you're going to a regional one and a, a national one, maybe two conferences a year. Um, and this is meant to be kind of a space when, where you can hang out with your youth community, people who you met at conferences, people who you met at online, any combination of that, but you can hang out with those people all year round, which is part of, it's easier to do that online. Obviously you can't go hang out with someone across the country every weekend. Right. So I want us to like be patient with ourselves too. And like really focus on like just being together and like healing and like learning what it's like to be together again and like envisioning what we want this community to be for ourselves before we start trying to like necessarily rebuild or like build something really new and shiny. Well, we, we don't want to rush into creating something new. We also need to find the balance of recognizing that like Lene and I particularly, we're basically at the age where we're going to age out of youth, at least by Canada's CC uh, definition and become young adults. So to remember that youth is not one big group and there's different groups. And it's possible that in this process to rebuild or create something new, the thing that will come out on the end won't look the same as what we had before the pandemic. And we shouldn't be trying to create something that's exactly what we remember happening. That's where we need to be is we need to have access to just the like community and the love and all of that. And if it happens online, if it happens in person, 
it doesn't matter. It just needs to happen. Spiritual Direction with Noelle Burke and Shivani Gelfand. All right, it's time to get to the good stuff. Spiritual guidance is a companioning of someone in their exploration of their relationship to the sacred, the divine, and or their own self, um, their own soul, their own spirit. And a spiritual guide creates a relationship of profound trust in one, especially in one-on-one, but also in group spiritual guidance um, between themselves and the guidees by listening deeply, asking critical questions, and really holding the container for the exploration and experience that the person's going through. And I feel like spiritual guidance helps to unlock and open the deepest parts of ourselves, our longings, our intuition, our fears, um, as well as our connections and the most intimate questions that we carry around in our souls, which I think is one of the things that's always excited me about being a Unitarian Universalist is questioning and that invitation to question and encouragement and support in that. From over the past few years, I see it as, you know, deepening my spiritual relationship within myself and then with the others that are involved, especially in the role of the spiritual director, you're helping that other person grow and nurture that spirit. It's a, you try to put up a wall, but it's also learning like, okay, tear down that wall. It's a safe space. And that's really hard for, um, it's really hard in general. A group spiritual guidance too. There's really a magic to witnessing each other's deep sharing that I think people just have relief when they realize that they're not alone in the challenge they're facing or the trauma that they've had or the questions that they're exploring. Group spiritual guidance can really be a balm on the wounds, uh, on the wound of loneliness, because um, it allows that that intimate connection and sharing. Well, I find myself as a spiritual person. So uh, when I heard, I heard about the spiritual direction training course in Ohio, that's what Shane had mentioned. Um, I heard from Nancy Combs Morgan and I I heard about open enrollment for youth and young adults for the for the course, and I couldn't drive to Ohio fast enough. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to be there. It just called to me. It, it was just a feeling and just to be, you know, specifically asked like, oh, my gosh, this is this is me learning how to treat my spirit, how to nurture it, how to treat my spirit better. And learning to be vulnerable. I would say that was my first exposure to it. Having a spiritual companion, Shivani, you said that you have what you have, like you have your own spiritual companion. And I, and I believe, I think that's like, that's a requirement for the, um, for actually going through a course in spiritual direction. One of those, I, I have looked into them. They're very fascinating. Yeah. I think some of the different reasons people come are if they're looking to connect spiritually with themselves, but they don't know how, um, spiritual seekers needing some kind of direction. Um, also those looking for meaning and purpose in their life or deeper connection in their relationships, um, or to themselves. Like I think about love and belonging a lot as themes, because those are things we're always like told we have to get from outside of ourselves. Right. But really, truly love and belonging begin here. I would say, 
for anyone interested or has an interest, um, do it. There is a lot of benefit just that, uh, you know, you can learn more about yourself. It's a big perk. Um, you can learn about others that, uh, you know, you're going through this deep connection together. Um, sometimes it's hard, uh, you know, to do it by yourself. And so having a companion is, you know, they're there. And I mentioned accountability earlier. It's, you don't really have to, you know, talk or they have to, uh, it's not like a homework assignment. It's just, all right, I'm doing my own work and I know that they're doing theirs. Really, like you wouldn't even realize <laughs> that your body needed it, your spirit, you know? So try it, dip a toe in, do something else in, you know, give it a shot because our faith is so supportive of this exploration, I think we owe it to ourselves to integrate it more into our work and especially to normalize it as a part of our practice with our youth and young adults. That therapy is not direction and direction is not therapy. My role is to connect them to the spirit that is behind that. Um, how, is there another time that you felt this way? You know, how connect them to their feelings, get them into their bodies. Where are you feeling this discomfort, this stress, this anxiety or with this person? Where is that in your body? Do you have, can you think of other times when you felt that way? What has helped you to heal from that? Always returning it to the spirit. One of the reasons I steer away from the word direction is like, I'm not trying to tell you where to go. There is a bit of overlap being the deep listening, um, listening and the care. You have to have that compassion and the want and need to be there because if not, then either do not apply. I I can't even explain it um, on how amazing it was, but I hope you can tell like the sincerity in my voice. Like you have to experience it yourself or give it a try. And then you can, you'd have that experience for yourself. Dinner Church with Reverend Aisha Ansano and Reverend Emily Conger. What exactly is Dinner Church? I always like to say that Dinner Church is exactly what it sounds like. It is dinner and it is church. So it's a worship service and a meal that are connected together rather than one following the other. And it's a way to tap into the heart of being an embodied spiritual community with other people. It's an ancient practice and it's also very modern and can be really leveraged for the context that we find ourselves in now. It's really, really powerful, but it is worship that includes a meal and it's just part of it. Well, we are leveraging ancient spiritual technology here. Um, Through the centuries, people have gathered around a meal for worshipful occasions through harvest rituals or Passover seders or early Christian communion and agape love feasts. So this, these are things that go way deep. And I think a flower communion dinner church would be so much fun. Um, A couple, oh, this is a tangent. I won't go on my tangent. Or, yeah. Um, oh, tangent, sure. Tangents um, are always in, welcome. <laughs> we love tangents. I, I made, like, a flower <laughs> communion focaccia. Um, like, a, I, like, I saw, like, this really beautiful focaccia bread with, like, fl- like someone made flowers on top of it. And I was like, this is, like, the perfect thing for flower communion. We need to have more food associated with our 
with our uh, celebrations. And so I made like a flower communion focaccia. I was like, I'm going to start the tradition of making flower themed food. I'm, I'm one of those people. But then I try to also do the like, listen, here's the dinosaur chicken nuggets I ate for dinner. And that's also real. Like, it's not always like this. I promise. Here's my frozen breakfast burritos and all that good stuff too. It happens. All Dinner churches, I've been to several and they all can be really different. They're different models. And, you know, depending on who your community is and what your goals are. So like, I think about the food, right? And I've been to dinner churches that people come early and help cook. And I've been to dinner churches that are potluck. Um, and I've been to dinner churches that are catered. And it's a really wide range of what makes sense for our community, for our budget, for what we're trying to um, achieve. I interned for a while at a dinner church in Massachusetts that the church provided soup and um, bread, and then people brought the rest of the meal to fill in. Um, one thing that I have learned is that people often like being able to contribute in some way. So whether that's potluck or helping cook or some other piece of that, um, where we offer a blessing, where we bless each other with food through the camera, or we do a mindful bite, um, which is a kind of slowing down grounding that involves food. So our order of service is generally some sort of welcome and gathering, a mindful bite, one song, an activity or a story. And then for us, the big piece of it, and I think this is true at a lot of dinner churches, is small group conversation. Well, I tend to make more space for table conversations and more space for people to get up and go get their food and then sit down and settle in if we're in person. When we're online, it's more of a streamlined, like, um, move through the service. There are some core things that really get to the heart of what is important here, and that is um, embodiment and participa participation and um, leveraging the wisdom in the room, which can be so powerful and is, is so important in what we're doing here. I think, I mean, it's something that physically feeds you. Like um, the fact that we can take this thing and like put it in our body and it makes us go, um, that's, that's really cool. And the fact that we can do intention with that, that we can intentionally choose what food we're going to eat and cook in a certain way and eat it with certain people. Um, the thing that makes things spiritual is often intention. And so putting intention behind this thing that we do all the time. Like I think about what I eat every day and does it shape who I am? Like what I choose at the cafeteria? Um, am I a hummus person? As I take a bite thinking like, wow, a lot of people were involved in this. Like that level of intention already is so powerful. When we share the same foods, our molecules are fundamentally changed. I mean, okay, so can we talk about that for just a minute? Just a minute. Let's just, let's just talk about the fact of like our lives on Zoom or on YouTube or on like just on camera, right? Because I think a lot of us are experiencing more time on camera than we were before. And like this idea that like, like you know, you're in the meeting and people are like, oh, I'm going to turn off my camera because I'm eating, you know? And I get it, like being, you know, like not wanting people to see you eat and stuff, but also can we just like normalize the fact that we're all like human beings? And if we were in a meeting together, like I'd be eating in front of you, like that just would happen. So 
And Shannon, I love that you want to, you know, break the stigma around eating together and not everybody is, is ready to like take a bite fully on camera. I get that. And right. You know, cause usually when you're not sitting around a table, you're not this close and looking right at each other in the same yeah. way. I understand it's, it's more intimate. Hi, Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, w- I will say that I did make a mistake one time of eating in a recorded meeting and then watching the recording. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm going to make sure I don't do that next time. Cause yeah. that doesn't need to be like there for everybody to. I did make the mistake of taking an actual bite of bread d- during when we were, we did a, a an agape feast or a, a ritual where we feed one another via the camera. And I took a real bite. Mm, I needed to talk, right? I, you know, I needed to talk right afterward. My <laughs> mouth was full and I was like, oh, that, okay, now we're going to fake it. But oh, yes. Okay. Say the blessing <laughs> another time. <laughs> I think it resonates because it's similar to youth worship. Uh, for those people who have not been blessed to participate in youth worship, we call it circle worship. And it's literally in a circle. Like you're often in a room standing in a circle and then whoever's leading a certain part will step into the center to lead. Um, I do have to like walk in circles and I'm like, am I walking too fast? Am I walking too slow? Um, but it's very interactive. The thing that makes youth worship youth worship is that there's a piece that is interactive. Um, we have some sort of ritual. And dinner church is inherently interactive. You're all eating together. The number one way that we got used to show up to things at my church was by always having food. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention, I know we're wrapping up pretty soon, but um, just the ways that embodied worship that gets us out of our heads and into our bodies and um, leverages the power of the room pushes against white supremacy culture in a number of ways. And um, really, it's we can do big, powerful work from a really grounded, human, heart-centered place. I'm ready to go eat some food. I'm hungry. <laughs> How about y'all? Sanctuary Boston with Karishma Gottfried and Matt Meyer. Something we like to say at Sanctuary Boston is, you know, we're going to start with singing and then we're going to do some more singing. We came together to kind of envision what a different kind of UU worship gathering might look like, particularly what it would feel like, what it would sound like. And I've always been interested in how to create worship that is uh, embodied, that's heart-centered, that's particularly uh, uses music to create connection and find meaning. So that was part of my interest in Sanctuary, and and I'm still doing that these days and love it as much as ever. We also like to say, you know, no volunteering without joy. And that is especially coming from uh, youth leadership where there is lots of volunteering and a lot of joy, but also a lot of stress. Uh, Sanctuary has been a great place that just everybody is so involved. So there's music, um, there's ritual, shared ritual. We always do our joys and sorrows. When we're in person, we light candles and sing sanctuary. We have community members sharing reflections, which I really love. The I think that comes back again to more traditional youth and young adult styles of worship where there isn't like one person preaching a sermon, but there's different members of our community and people outside of our community welcomed in who are sharing their stories. You know, I, I grew up UU, but in some ways I was still had a conversion experience as a youth by being immersed in uh, the circle worship gatherings and conferences and other and camps and things. And, you know, those communities went so deep and so quickly 
because they use the tools of singing in particular, but uh, other spiritual practice together to really foster intimacy and connection. And I remember this feeling of going back to my church on Sunday morning and being like, well, this isn't Unitarian Universalism. Like, there's no feeling, there's no real connection. We're just going through the motions. The music is like performed, it's not participatory. And, you know, we got that uh, that feeling sometimes, but not uh, often enough. And while we loved the message of Unitarian Universalism, um, we wanted something more uh, heartfelt, something more emotional. A lot of you churches, I think, uh, pride themselves that we don't have to leave our minds or our intellect at the door when we come in. We don't have to leave our reason at the door. But too often we leave our, our heart or our bodies at the door. And those are just kind of secondary or off to the side. I think the funny thing with youth and emerging adults, especially, um, and all, all groups that are designated by age is as, as with time, you know, people grow up and age out. And I think that you know, centering a community around young adult voices and experiences is something that has to continually be growing because people are growing up and there are more people becoming young adults. I just have always felt so, so welcomed in sanctuary spaces in ways that I haven't always felt in a typical UU congregation. And because we aren't a, you know, a congregation, a brick and mortar congregation, we have a little bit more of that flexibility and the passion to know that we're doing this as a service to Unitarian Universalism as a whole, that it's a ministry that we're providing because it is a good thing to do, not because we specifically as sanctuary are going to be more successful because of it. I just want to highlight what you just said, which was that a congregation can do campus ministry or young adult ministry, and it doesn't have to be anything about gaining members or gaining pledges or gaining money or any of that, it can actually be a service to Unitarian Universalism. When I'd been told that like young adults don't want to go to church on Sunday morning, I was like, oh, that's a lie. They just want this. They want something different. But sometimes we see that and we think, okay, uh, if you build it, they will come. If you put a, you know, electric guitar up front, or if you structure it in this different way, then the young people will come in the doors. And I think it's important to say that sanctuary, there was, you know, a year of conversations before our first worship. I think another thing we can do on Sunday mornings is to think of the choir as worship leaders rather than performers, that the choir's job and certainly the music director's job is to invite congregational music and congregational singing, not to perform for the congregation. Uh, in our UU communities, we do such a good job of ministering to our, our children and then to our youth. And then we just kind of leave them on their own. And when they, when, if and when they go to college, the evangelicals are there, other denominations are there, and Unitarian Universalism is absent. And other folks are more than happy to provide that spiritual home for them. And we know that about 75% of them leave Unitarian Universalism and they never come back. They don't come back when they have children. That's not what the, the numbers seem to indicate. They're gone and they don't come back. My heart has just been broken, you know, being in conversation with other religious professionals about um, how hard this has been. You know, the great resignation is is real for our ministers and music directors and religious educators. It's been uh, it's been really rough. Talked about like how do we make this feel the way it feels in person? So we can't sit in a circle, but let's ask people to stay in gallery view. Uh, we want 
we're focused on as many congregations are saying these days connection not perfection so the let's do live music the sound quality won't be as good but it'll be a little more personal and connecting we think um let's do joys and sorrows and figure out how to do that with people sharing in the chat still let's still have 12 worship leaders for every service so it's still multi-vocal and that has just worked really well for us um kind of to my surprise uh, so we have, I think, twice as many people participating in worship now and ever since we went online than we did uh, in person in the before times. Uh, and I'll just say, as an emerging adult now, um, I had the extreme pleasure of being mentored and getting to work in partnership with both Eric and Shannon as a youth. And so it's really great to be back here um, and Amy behind the scenes. And so it's just a stellar, stellar team. Um, and I'm so grateful for you all. Wrapping up an amazing year together. We've we've come close to the end here. Yes, we have. <laughs> I'm getting sad. This is resonating. This whole this whole episode resonates for me. <sighs> I I could do this for hours. I just it's a love fest. It's a love fest. Yeah, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Whoosh! To be continued. Get amped for more Just Breathe Live coming in September.